having known each other across 20 years, PJ Hart and I have never actually met. So we're excited about a very special episode where we'll be meeting in the flesh for the first time. That's right. The event that we shall be meeting at, the reason for this monumental occasion is uh, the author and comedian Mark Burroughs is coming to Belfast to give us a talk on his book, The Magic of Terry Pratchett. So obviously that's something we're both extremely excited uh, to go and see, to meet each other in person for the first time, but also to get a chat with Mark Burroughs himself to talk everything Terry Pratchett and everything Discworld. Welcome to I've Never Read Discworld, our first outside broadcast. I'm Andy Luke. I'm waiting here uh, in Hill Street by the Black Box and Dirty Onion for a meeting with my co-host PJ Hart. Good afternoon, the beef. Clear some space. Oh, I'm too tall. You're, like you're taller than I remember, yeah? Let's see. This is no regular technology. Yeah, this, yeah, is, yeah. this is B&M stores technology. Fancy, fancy stuff, there yeah. we go. Oh man, we're rolling. There we go. Cheers, my friend. There we go. First in person. Yeah. Welcome Rocking to I've Discworld. Never Read Discworld. I've got my, my luggage shirt. Amazing. Yeah. I'm not opening my jacket because it's freezing in Belfast right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I've got a lovely new uh, Never Trust a Tory hoodie and I was going to bring it out but then I, I I I can't pack light. I lug stuff around and I feel sweaty and nervous and creepy. No, you have to be prepared. I'm actually coming from an overnight with my in-laws, so I've got a full suitcase here as well. Actually, so how are we feeling about the uh, about the talk about Mark? Nervous, um, but there, there's not been nervous about. I haven't got my questions yet. Me neither. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I have such yeah. a mental block when it comes to these biographies. I think of Pratchett. I find them really, really hard to read. I find them kind of grief inducing <laughs> I think where it's like by reading these kind of posthumous books about his life I just like I feel like it's bludgeoning me over the head a little bit with the fact that he's gone and there's going to be no more writing it all even though like the books are obviously celebrations of his life there's just like such a sense of loss I, he went so soon and there was so much more that could have been given you know and things gone a different way so yeah, I don't know, so that, that's going to make this interesting because once we're in the room we'll be able to escape, we're going to sit and we're going to listen to Mark for what, 90 minutes, 2 hours and I'm not going to be able to put the book down, so if I cry, I apologise in advance. <laughs> yeah, I had a little uh, Wikipedia through bibliographies and that, uh, so like four books that, um, that were listed as in development, of course his hard drive was driven over with a car. Those old steamroller, steamroller, steam right? Yeah, you gotta do something, you gotta do it right, I guess. You know? Yeah, but yeah, I was reading Mark's actually just last night. I was reading Mark's review of the the lost stories that were then found. The I guess it's the, the ones that he published under a pen name, like way way back in the day. And it was interesting to hear him kind of write and talk about the same all the stuff I was just kind of saying about how like when you you lose a favorite author, like there is that sense of grief. For the person and for the work, and then when you discover new 
aspects of it or work that hasn't come to light yet, you know, that, that can be real, really celebratory, but I haven't been able to bring myself to read any of that stuff, and you're trying to do everything. But how does that fit into your chronological reading of things? Like, would you feel like, is it okay for you to go back and read, like, the early short stories? Is that something you're interested in doing as you read Discworld, or do you think you would, like, put a pen, a pen in that until later, or? Yeah, I'd definitely put a pen in that later. Like, I was looking at the, um, the, the collected short stories, um, Blink of a Screen, is it? And then yeah. the, the one that was released last year. Yeah, that's the one that was, I think, I've read the review of, yeah. Yeah, so I definitely want to get around to that. And also, was I was looking at um, like his his appearances on TV and documentaries uh, to do with his Alzheimer's diagnosis. And uh, there's there's one come up within our so we're we're looking at Small Gods next ninety two. There's one called Terry Pratchett's Jungle Quest from ninety four. Oh wow, that's at least to me actually. No idea what that's yeah. about. And I'm kind of yeah, I want to check out. Yeah, because the one I I would. Really be the most familiar with would be, I guess, this one that he did on Assisted Dying, which is obviously pretty full on as, as documentaries go, and like he approaches it with all the kind of wit and ratchetism that you would expect, but like still pretty full on subject matter. So, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, we'll try and take that out. Uh, I noticed too, he's written a, a few short stories set around Christmas season as well, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I definitely would want to get into those. I wonder if she'd be, yeah. Uh, should look and see when Hogfather's gonna come up and see if we can build in. I probably will miss Christmas because that's always my favorite. Yeah, I think, I think October. Or yeah. Well, that's if, close if enough. That's pretty close. Like, we yeah. did. Uh, we could always pad it out with another couple of these. <laughs> <laughs> we did. Um, well, uh, 2023, we did 10 podcasts. We did more books. Yeah. We did more to make comic and the casting page. So we've done pretty well. I yeah, think. I think we're on, on track, yeah. Uh, I mean, when you add it all up, though, I guess still thirty books, twenty-nine books to go of just the main series. So could be at this for a while, yeah. <laughs> we could we could do the Hogfather um, uh, film for Christmas. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the Weird Sisters animation. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Yeah, we must try and do that sooner rather than later, actually. And for the ones. The adaptations that I come back to that I, I don't think they're the only two that I've actually ever watched more than once since Weird Sisters. Oh no, sorry, Weird Sisters I actually really have watched once. I've watched Soul Music a couple of times and Hogfather a couple of times. Oh, speaking of which, I have a gift for you for later. Oh my goodness. Um, I can pocket it if you want. I have two copies of Soul Music. Oh and I no way! I think I heard I, you were I, missing I, one. I think I am. Look at this. I don't know if you can see it. It's, it's shiny. It's got a holographic. And look, oh man, look how young Terry is in the bag. Yes, it is. I'm definitely going to cry today at some stage. Oh man, that's great. What wins this from? This is, this is, this is um, a different edition than any of the paperbacks I have. Yeah, it was that or the. I don't, I don't know who the artist is or not. Oh, it's the HarperCollins GS edition. Oh. Page counts about the same as the, yeah. uh, the, the one with the Josh Kirby cover. Aren't I getting technical for a yeah. novice? He's surpassed in the, the people that surpassed the master. I'm not master. Uh, yeah, so that's the yeah American paperback from '95. I think while we're both here, um, we might want to talk about how the podcast came about because it's kind of an unusual yeah. sort of story. So um, I uh, noticed PJ was a local writer of. 
of Summer Clingham. Uh, well, he's, he's, he's still in that grassroots. You're catching him while he's I'm, I'm from the streets. Um, and I added him on Twitter. He added me. And um, about two or three years after, um, I had this bag of Discworld books and I put a call out. Does anybody want to do a Discworld podcast with me? You got back to me. Mm. We, we talked about what it was and you said, yeah, I'm on board. Yeah, um, it was a good kick up the arse. I mean, what I had been wrangling with at that time was I have been putting off and putting off reading The Shepherd's Coin for the people who listen to the podcast and know of this like real mental block about there being no more Discworld left to read. So even though I'd read most of it, I'd been holding off on reading The Shepherd's Coin and there's a couple of others that I'd maybe missed. So I thought it was a really good motivation to like to do it in a really celebratory way to finish off the series with somebody like Andy who I know is going to get into it and really love it and just like finish that journey kind of with him and it's been awesome so far it's like a little mini support network <laughs> what I didn't know um, when um, I added you on Twitter was that actually we go further back we go back to uh, 2002, I think. Yeah, 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 so maybe slightly more. Typical Northern Ireland, for those listeners <laughs> who are local, they'll know, for those that aren't, maybe won't, that like, there's only ever, what, two, maybe three degrees of separation between anybody, respect yeah. anybody in the arts in Northern Ireland. So, uh, so as it happened, yeah, we had crossed paths through mutual friends in the early, early, early days of like Web 1.0. Early where, like, dial up, yeah. I think friends, friends of mine, a friend of mine, was going out with a friend of yours and a friend who back in the day was into like having these really big group conversations on MSN so like if you if you logged on and these guys were online and you would just be like you just get invited to this group chat with like 20 people and so it was like it's like it should have been like an IRC channel or something but it wasn't we were doing it on MSN for some reason because that's what all the, that's what all the yeah. cool kids had I yeah, guess yeah I think I had about um, 12 or 14 friends in that group and um one of those sort of key hubs was a guy called Brian Smith, yeah. who um, allegedly had 72-hour conversations, and he was on constantly. We used to talk about Terence McKenna and Robert Anton Wilson, and so our kind of circles vibe, overlapped yeah, yeah. through that. And, that, and I remember it kept, it, it kept going for like quite a while, for like a few years, like yeah, on and off. Yeah. Like I remember even like when I, so we started doing that when I was still at school, and then it kept going while I, I know. Well, I was at university for sure. So I remember I was like my student house, like still getting like getting pinged on MSN for these group chats and stuff. And I think it was a lot of people. So I was Belfast, but it was a lot of people from like the Peninsula and Bangor kind of yeah, direction, which yeah. is where you're from. Brian yeah. myself and a few. Yeah, yeah. I think I got connected to that through some mutual friends like in, in East Belfast. But yeah, people people who don't know Northern Ireland don't give a shit any of this, and that's totally fair. Uh, but just that weird kind of like the way we would randomly would have connected with each other back then before we would have been like mutuals on any social networks or anything like that because we didn't really exist unless we were talking like live journal or friendster or something like that I yeah guess, that know. life journal's how we stayed in touch um, yeah, I think I had Brian on life journal actually yeah I think you might have had yourself on there as well yeah it's quite a big community and then how I found out that we um, had crossed paths before um, was I put your 
email or, or your name into my Gmail search yeah. and I come up with uh, a conversation about a comic strip I had in mind called Transformers into Pet. I was off, I can't remember why, I can't remember how it even came up. Yeah. I, I have this vague recollection, yeah, if you pitching this, maybe in one of those chats of being like, so they obviously, as you guys know, writes it's really interesting, cool avant-garde comics. And I've always been interested in dipping my toe in more visual media. And this came up and I was like, right, let's do it, write a comic together. And I was like, yes, I'm gonna email them, we're gonna get it going. And then he was like, yep, cool, all right. So I sat down to write a script. I was like, I don't know how to do this. I have no idea how to write a comic book script. And I actually don't know that much about Transformers. I don't know that much about the bed either. Why did I volunteer to do this? I've got no idea. So I bottled it. Uh, yeah. I bottled it. <laughs> is, it still, is it still recording? It is good. Yeah. yeah. So did you ever do it? Did you ever make that No, comic? no. Oh, and I have, I have no idea what happened to the script, but it was one of those that, that certainly came to me in a, in a flash. And I, I remember scribbling down notes for it. And it seemed really important at the time. Yeah. What would the contemporary version of it be? I guess it'd be like... I don't know. Well, Transformers are still relatively big, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's got to be James Roberts. Are they Roberts. not publishing though? Are they IDW lost the license? Um, I think Image might have it now, oh, but, really? but James Roberts has got to be the, the contemporary because if you look at his IDW run, he's got Megatron as a hard left socialist. Gender politics. And it's it's all beautifully done. It's it's uh the, the the same sensibility you might apply to writing The Wire, but with Transformers. Oh, yeah, we oh, we were ahead of the curve. We, if we could have got our act together back yeah. then, like, that could have been huge. Oh, well, maybe, we, maybe we should bring it home. Maybe we should do like Transformers in Ordoin or something. Like <laughs> or, uh, yeah, or what, Ukraine, I suppose, or Gaza or something would be a kind of. Oh, man. So there you go. Yeah, so that's typical Belfast, small world, isn't it? So we're back here now. We're sitting in a pub across the street from where we're going to. See Mark's show, where we're going to meet him after, potentially, hopefully. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we need to kind of figure out what we're going to ask. Yeah. I guess. Maybe we should do that off camera so as not to, not to give the game away. Just get to work. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah. PJ and I are here in the dark. I hear quite a bit of the audience noise. I'm quite excited about this. It's a sold out show. The room is packed. It is packed. It's just a quick scan around. So, yeah, we'll let you know how it goes. Looking forward to it. See you on the other side. <laughs> so, we'd asked Mark before the show if he could lend us some time for an interview. If I can get a little bit of level for you, Mark, is that okay? Sure, okay, this is me speaking, this is the volume at which I speak. Perfect. Yeah. Andy? And me as well. Um, I'll go that way. Yeah, too bad. I've got a really sore throat, so I'm going to try to stay out of it. That's okay. <laughs> this is the first time you two have met in person, right? Yeah, well, about two hours ago. Uh, Amazing, how's that yeah. been? Uh, not awkward at all. <laughs> <laughs> totally fine. No, it's a big day, it's a big day for everybody. My first time meeting Andy, Andy's first time meeting me, your first time on the podcast. Mm, so, yeah. yeah, so it's a day, and our podcast, I've Never Read This World, is all about firsts. It's Andy's first time reading the series. So, yeah, we're thematically on point today. Incredible. It's been awesome, yeah. So, 
Andy is the more fastidious of the two of us, and he made copious notes during your rather excellent oh, show. Oh, yeah. thank you. Um, and what I've done is I've written some notes over other notes on several lines, so they're completely unintelligible. The lighting wasn't great. Yeah, for, sorry. For I our mean, purposes. Yeah, we, I mean, uh, we don't design the lighting specifically for people taking notes in the crowd, I'm afraid. Uh, I know it's, it's not much thinking ahead there. And the, the next time, maybe get one of those pens with a little light in it. Yeah, they love that. Like love film that. critics use. Absolutely. It, was a, it was a really great show. Really, thank you. I really learned a lot. Um, so thank you, well done. Um, how would you sum up the, our broad overview of the show, introduce it to people? Um, it's a celebration of everything Terry Pratchett was and believed and, and his work. And, he, and it's a rough summary of his life. I wouldn't call it a biography show. The book I wrote is a biography. The show is more about who he was, not sort of what he was, if that makes sense. Um, it's, I worked very hard to make sure that it would work if you were a big fan and it would work if you were kind of a casual dropping in and out fan or somebody who read the books a few times when they were younger or if you'd just been dragged along by your wife. And it had to work for all those three groups and that was quite tricky. So um, people seem to think it does. So that's nice. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, from our point of view, Andy, we're on... What book are we on now? We're, we've both just read Small Gods, but haven't recorded that. Incredible yes. place to be. Yeah, okay. So, we're like, so this is where things really kick off for you. Like, Small Gods... Is the, run of, the run after Small Gods is, the, like... Where, what comes next? Reaper Man? Uh, Men at Arms. Men at Arms. Oh, yeah. so you go Men at Arms, um, Soul Music, music yeah. Interesting Times, yeah. Masquerade, uh, Feet of Clay... Hogfather, Jingo, Fifth Elephant, Carpe, no, Last Continent, Carpe Juggling, Fifth Elephant. That is an incredible run of books. You've got a treat ahead of you. I've got a better way of of, of pitching the show, by the way, thinking about it. Uh, it. It's a stand-up comedy show about Terry Pratchett. Boom, nailed it, yeah. (laughs) What a fan coming through there was that you really were channeling his style of comedy. Well, that's not... Hitting his voice... That's not intentional, because it's that is just that I um, as a comic. I've been reading Terry Pratchett since I was twelve, and I'm forty-two, so I've you know thirty years of reading of of, of that comic voice has definitely soaked in. But also, I think the reason that they resonated with me so much then is because I'd already kind of developed a bit of a the, the, what I liked as a comic and a, a kind of a style of writing. Because even then, I was writing stuff mm. and I think it felt like it syncs with how I thought about the world and how I wrote anyway so um, I, so I, I, I'm not intentionally trying to do Pratchett style humour it's more that I, that I inevitably do Pratchett style yeah, humour yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's just more apparent because of what I'm talking about Yeah, I find that your explanation of how you got into it really interesting, really similar to my own in terms of like being handed a copy of Guards Guards when you were 12 years old, that was exactly what happened to me and my mm. sister gave me a copy. So that, how that humour just becomes innate about how those point of views, I think. Mm. Like, you obviously are really passionate about like, the themes and the message that, that, mm. that Terry had as well. And obviously like, to get up on stage and do a whole show about it, it obviously means a lot to you, I guess. You know? Yeah, it does. I think his, like, his worldview is really persuasive. I think it is... I mean... He he would be the first one to say that the best that his morality was is the same as Bill and Ted's morality. <laughs> you know, it's 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 you know, 
it's the golden rule of Christianity is be excellent to each other. It's, it's do unto you as uh, unto others as you would want them to do to you. And that's kind of his, that that view is uh, is at the center of all his writing. Once you've got that, you've got everything. Totally. Yeah. Um, but I think yeah, his his morality is really interesting and really true, and his sense of right and wrong is both black and white when it needs to be, and nuanced what it needs to be because he was you know people always say what would Terry think about X issue and I always think it won't be what you think he thinks he Mm -hmm. will have a view that is much more nuanced he would have a view that was more nuanced and more interesting and would be a take that none of us would thought of and um, wouldn't be able to be boiled down to a couple of nifty sound bites and uh, I've always loved that about his about his writing he understood people so well and for all of their their Good, well, there's the great quote, good omens, isn't it? Uh, um, the ills of the unis- universe are not from people being fundamentally good or fundamentally bad, but fundamentally people. Yeah, yeah. Now, I felt really lucky to have been exposed to that at that age, and it, it sounds like you do as well. Mm. So, like, do you feel like you're catching up? It Andy, soaks or? in. <laughs> yeah. You've got yeah. a lot of catching up to do here. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. that's a moral code. It's not an unusual one. So it's not like, sometimes I think it's not like... Reading Terry Pratchett books made me who I am because mostly you're almost reading them, nodding at those bits, going, "Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that." Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I feel so lucky being people on this journey and like, why didn't I do it 20 years ago? <laughs> then we wouldn't be able to do this. We wouldn't yeah. be able to sit here with Mark. So I just what a treat you've got ahead of you because, yeah. like, I mean, you're in, you're about to go into what I call the sort of yeah, what like mid-period Discworld. Mm. I always think Discworld is like this, is essentially three eras. You've got early Discworld, which I kind of re- count as up to guards, guards, yeah. which is setting up the world, essentially. And then mid-period is, I mean, count Eric, I guess, because Eric, Eric is a sort of, is a bit more of a, uh, a bit more of an afterthought, really, but mm. from sort of moving pictures onwards to, um, to uh, Thief of Time. I think is the middle period, mm. and then the truth onwards. They, they overlap slightly because the truth is, after, is is the truth is kind of is before thief of time. But I think there's a different worldview after you get to the truth. Yeah, like industrial revolution. Yeah, sort of, and it's yeah. really interesting. There's a bit, and you'll you'll get to this at some point. And there's a bit in the truth where Lord Vetinari comes to visit the office of the newspaper, the Agmorpork Times, that's just been set up, and basically says, "Was this built on an ancient temple?" <laughs> Are there, going, are there going to be creatures from another dimension and tentacles ripping through our reality? <laughs> I, uh, yeah. Is there, will there be fireballs? And he kind of recru- summarises some stuff that happens in previous books. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, no, no. And it's basically Terry's way of kind of looking at the audience and going, I'm not doing that anymore. Like, and you've got, you're in the last hurrah of that sort of thing. And you can almost see those crossovers. You know, the, I don't think the dungeon dimensions come up again now. Yeah. for you guys I think you're at, uh, yeah it's were. one of the things well we've <laughs> had several debates about the, the like why is this always a dungeon dimension <laughs> why are yeah. the bad guys always the dungeon dimensions but yeah well, I've the, always been impatient to move past that in the podcast and we're getting into that what's really interesting podcast. is the dungeon dimensions aren't real yeah they're um, like as in like even the, cre- the, the, the cre- it's what actually is the enemy is chaos mm. and uh, sort of um, and and that chaos is always brought around, but brought around by petty bureaucracy. Yeah, and when they, you have that switch from the 
Dungeon Dimension is just like Lovecraftian Greeblies to the auditors. Yeah, like, exactly. And that's where that Which really almost represent the same thing. Yeah, but in a, much a bit of a different way. way. But yeah. it's that's there all the way through. Trimon in in um, uh, the Light Fantastic mm. is isn't a evil villain. He's a petty bureaucrat. Yeah, and um, the and once in Guards Guards is a petty bureaucrat, and yeah, it's all but it's. It's kind of senseless rule following that is, yeah, the, that yeah. is actually the is actually the the real baddie. Yeah, it's been great to sort of to go on Andy with this journey because like I would have dipped in and out over the years, and there was like some books that I didn't read, so I'm like making an effort to, to kind of complete the series now. And I noticed you were a bit hesitant to give spoilers for the Shepherd's Crown on stage, and like I know I definitely put off reading it because I knew that mm. when I read it that would be the end of this world mm. and I wondered did you feel any like trepidation about that whenever I did I did I, I, it occurred to me I, I, I did occur to me to maybe I'll never read it maybe I'll just leave it on the shelf and then yeah. I thought I really want to read it <laughs> uh, I always say like actually if you want to always have a Discord novel always have a Terry Pratchett book that you've never read so there's always one more to look forward to Yeah, the long cosmos is right there <laughs> Yeah, like the Long Cosmos, the final book of the Long Earth series. Yeah, it's fine. It's all right. Okay. <laughs> if you never read it, your life is not going to be any worse. If you never read The Shepherd's Crown, you're missing out on on quite you know some wonderful storytelling. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, but if you never read The Long Cosmos, yeah, you'd be all right. So you have read everything then? You've done. Oh, I've read. I mean, yeah. I, I I dare say I've read more than almost anybody. Yeah. Because I, I I've read like loads and loads of his. Um, 1970s journalism. Yeah, well, we, well, Andy's holding a copy um, there beside him on the table, thanks. and the fact that you went back to get the original carpet people as well. I'd say, I'd say the uh, there are very few people who have read the amount of Pratchett writing that I have. I mean, there's Colin, probably Colin Smythe, um, uh, Pat and Jan Harkin, who did the who were the people who unearthed the recent oh, um, yeah, lost yeah, stories yeah. stuff, and you know a few others. But you know, it's a lot of effort to be able to track that stuff down you have to go to the you basically have to go to the newspaper archive yeah, yeah. Uh, and spend ages going through trying to find and some of it is just it's quite dry journalism but then there's also some really wonderful I mean there's some wonderful short kids short children stories yeah, there's also some there's also some really really wonderful uh, columns like comic sort of comic um, uh, what's the word like op-eds Mm. and cool. he's writes some which are the stuff that I put in the Tales from Roundworld book that are really where you can see him developing his comic voice so, yeah I've done the homework yeah you certainly certainly have go when, ahead Andy when um, so when I reached uh, Moving Pictures book 10 chronologically um, I decided to try and do a top 10 for the podcast mm. uh, impossible so I'm not going to ask you your favourite but do you have a favourite like series or group of characters Depends on, my, on the day. It really does. I mean, I, I don't like grouping them by series because mm, I, okay. I think they overlap a lot anyway. Uh, and, um, you know, like, they, they don't go that neatly into each other. It's more themes. Mm. And, and, those, and there are books with the same, with similar themes. Like, Truckers and Small Gods uh, were written at the same time and are thematically incredibly linked but take place in literally different universes. Mm. Um, so I could, I so I, I it, it, you put a gun to my head, probably the witches mm. books, but um, then on another day I'd say I would say the guards books. I mean I think those are the two that are really sharp and really um, have the most humanity in them. Yeah. 
Uh, and I, you know, I could read Terry writing Nanny Og all day. He, yes. he writes that, that character so well. Have you ever read Nanny Og's, uh, Nanny Og's cookbook? No, it was on my Christmas list this year. Nobody bought it for me, so it's, I'm not bitter about that at all. It's <laughs> wonderful. It's not just, and it's not just like the recipes are fine. That's all funny, and the, yeah. there's intros to the recipes that are, fun, that are fine. And but at the back, there's like an extra chapter of Nanny Og's kind of um, uh, et- guide to etiquette. <laughs> and it's entirely written in, in character, in first oh, person, and it's just the most wonderfully observed piece of character writing. Like he's, he inhabits that character. Uh, he really, he's so fun and it's so good and so funny. Um, and there's very few of his characters he could do that with, I think. Mm. Um, he could do it with Nanny, he could do it with Vimes. I'm not sure many others. That's totally fair. Somebody asked you at the show, but just for the purposes for our listeners who weren't here, um, you recommended a particular book as an intro. We're doing it chronologically because that's the task we set ourselves. But yeah. you want to maybe just. Uh, tell our listeners what book you might recommend them to jump in at if they haven't started from the start well Terry always said Mort Um, Terry always said Mort was the book where he discovered the joy of plot Uh, and that is the first one did you find this like when you with, with the, how did you feel about about this? Did you read more and go? Oh, it, it's all focused. It's all coming to come in. I I had difficulties with more actually. I really didn't uh, warm to it um, as much as I expected, and I think that was due to the high expectations. Equal rights now. score. Equal rights is a wonderful book. It's just not quite. It's just not quite Discworld yet. Mm. But it is a wonderful book, and it's I, I think really interesting. I think what I always think, and uh, genuinely. You could pick any book between Mort and Fifth Elephant and at random, and they all work, and they all work in almost any order. You can generally go, oh, well, oh, hang on, that must have happened before that one. Oh, he's a captain, not a corporal now, so I guess I can work that out. Um, but, I mean, I read Guards, Guards first, and then I read The Colour of Magic, and then I read Witches Abroad, and then I read Small Gods, and then I read Mort. Like, and I never, like, you can dot around. Like, after that, he starts to assume you know a few things. He stops explaining stuff. Even that, like, I think you could pick up Nightwatch and still read it from... Yeah. Especially uh, in these, this day and age with wikis and stuff. Yeah, it's just, yeah. exactly. Uh, you, could re- you pick up Nightwatch and read it from the start. You could pick up Going Postal and read it. And read it. Going Postal is actually a really good intro point. Mm, yeah, it could be. Yeah. I always recommend uh, Feet of Clay as a good intro point, actually. Because it's, um, it's such a good mystery. Uh, it's a good murder mystery, whodunit kind of thing. And it's a really well, uh, like, well put together kind of Agatha Christie level of murder mystery and it's genuinely you're, you're following the clues and you're trying to work and it, it's really you know it's a plot it's very it works really really well um, and you can come into that one cold and it's a very evocative book and you know, it's about and it, it's you know it's about it's a police procedural it's a murder mystery it's, it's about it, it's about the nature of man <laughs> it's all that thing that thing that Terry does where it's about so many things at once you know, it's a, it's about what it's what is it, what is it what does it mean to be alive? It's about automatons. It's a parody of Terminator. Like, it, like there's loads of different. There's so many different things going on on in it. Um, so I always think that's a good starting point. Yeah, we're um, looking forward to that. We're gonna have to watch time. But, yeah, uh, and this is a question loaded with tangential possibilities. Uh, we recently asked ourselves, who would you cast in a Discworld TV series? Um, have you any actors? Uh, so, I mean, this is this is people argue about this, like I, I uh, back and forth forever. Terry, I mean, the, there's a very obvious one that everyone screams out immediately, which is Miriam Margulies as Nanny Og. Yeah. That's super obvious. 
uh, although actually I think French somebody once suggested discussing French and Saunders as Granny Weatherwax and Nanny Hawk which I think works really nicely yeah and almost uh, like the more time goes on the more it becomes like plausible so um, uh, well also cast them relatively young because you don't like, you can if you cast Miriam Margulies and and, um, and Dame Maggie Smith well, you're not going to get that many films out of them no. <laughs> God bless them but, you know, Maggie Smith is not going to be making films in, in a decade. They both have a few stunts yeah. they should do, perhaps, as well. <laughs> Hi, Suze. I'm doing a pod... I'm, I'm on a podcast. Uh, we'll, yeah, we'll be out... We'll, we're wrapping it up, yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Um, uh, what about your Vimes? You've been big on Vimes. Got well, for Vimes. interestingly about that, uh, what's convinced me about this, John Coulshaw's done the, the, um, the uh, audiobooks for the new, um, the new Discworld yeah, yeah, yeah. audiobooks. And he does Vimes as Sean Bean. And it is so perfect. And I'd never have thought of Sean Bean, but now I can't think of anyone else. I had the pleasure of working with him once, and I can say that actually, yeah, I can see that for sure. I always wanted Richard Dormer to do it, and then they did well, it the that's, and they that's, sort of got it a bit wrong. And now I mean, I, um, I, somebody I know within the Pratchett Circle, and I'm not, uh, who's, um, I, I, I'm not going to say who they were, uh, <laughs> said that one of the things they disliked most about The Watch is that it deprived the world of Richard Dormer playing Vimes properly. Yeah. Have you ever have seen Blue Lights? No, but I know I've not. I've heard people yeah. say contemporary that contemporary cop show Richard Dormer. Yeah, R- Richard Dormer in uh, Richard Dormer in Blue Lights is vi- is, yeah. is his vibes. And that made me angry about it all over mm. again. But yeah, before see if we can do that. Rob. Any final words? Um, yeah. So this is uh, Belfast is your opener. Can you uh, list off where you? Feel yeah, plug your plug your discs. Yes, we'll so okay, for the, so we've got we've got we've got we've got a couple of weeks off. Um, before the tour proper starts, this is kind of an out. This is kind this of is like a. So the next, the next, the next date is until the first of February, and then I am in Totten, Taunton, Banbury, Milton Keynes, Swindon, Northampton, Birmingham, Colchester, Brighton, Andover, Tunbridge Wells, Bromley, Beccles, Mainhead, Guildford, Southend, Hexham, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Middlesbrough, and Buxton, um, and then I'm doing the UK Game Expo and then the Discord Convention. No, uh, not so, a lot of time. I link to Mark's website, which has all the, the links to the where you can buy tickets and that. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Highly, highly recommend. Thank it. you so much. Thanks, Thanks for so coming on, ways. Mark. Thanks Thanks very much, Mark. Thank you. Nobody has read more Discworld than Mark officially, <laughs> so it's good to have well, him on the show. I think that, uh, there's <laughs> only a yeah, finite yeah. amount of Discworld you can read. It's more Pratchett. Yes, uh, that's unfortunately the case. So, yep. Thanks again. Uh, Thanks. Good luck with the rest of the tour. Thank you. All the best. All right. Well, the day after. Day after, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Had, um, what a great show! Some, yeah, was a great show. Yeah, it's nice to have a bit of time to reflect on it. It was great to meet Mark. Such an inspirational guy. Um, from I, my I, point of view, I felt we could have, like talked to him for like twenty, thirty minutes. Just such a friendly guy, so open and um, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you can tell he's it's a real labor of love for him the show and the book and everything and just to just to reiterate like how strongly we recommend going to see the show if it comes anywhere near you and you're in any way i mean if you're enough of a fan to be listening to us you're definitely enough of a fan to go and listen to mark he's got powerpoint he's got laser uh pen he's got music cues i mean like his production value just blows us out of the water so yeah if that in any way interests you i can't encourage you any more strongly to go see the show it's really um it's really heartwarming and really charming and really interesting and informative and just like yeah just go see it if you can
There were a few quotes from uh, books, as you might expect, but it was really about um, about Terry rather than uh, the books. Um, did you mm. find yourself learning a lot of stuff that you didn't know about him? Yeah, a few bits and pieces. Yeah, so I think I've maybe alluded to it on the pod before how like I've been trying to read the other biography, Rob's biography, uh, and I'm taking it really, really slow. Um, it's very detailed, especially about his upbringing and stuff like that. But um, I think Mark's overview was more kind of like like relating Terry's life to his work. I guess that's the nature of the show is like draw. He's drawing these really tangible connections between like things that happened to Terry in his formative years and like things like quotes from the book, as you say, and he's drawing direct lines between them. I think I haven't really seen much of that in Rob's book yet anyway. Um, so I think, yeah, I was definitely, it definitely made me think about those connections that maybe I hadn't realized existed before. And that, that was, yeah, that felt really special actually. We should say that Rob, um, who was Terry's literary partner? Assistant, then became his business manager. I right. believe his, his surname's just left me. Uh, we're all, we're all, yes, we're all in first name terms now in the in the Pratchett first, aren't we? You know, me, uh, you, I'm, I'm Mark in the and Rob. Yeah. Um, I had to wear a hood and a blindfold. <laughs> uh, uh, we joined the elucidated <laughs> brethren, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> So Rob has worked with Mark on the show. Yeah, uh, that was cool to learn. I didn't obviously I had no idea that that was the case because I did think it was a bit weird that there had been those two biographies so close together. Uh, but it was really nice to hear that they collaborated on the show. And uh, the, the, there's a potential spoiler there that we'll maybe leave out for anybody who does want to go see the show. Um, so yeah, it, it it does like we laugh like, but it does feel like there is a bit of a community there in terms of other writers who are involved in kind of continuing Terry's legacy and, and celebrating his work and stuff. And it's nice to see that they all kind of get along and they all kind of sing from the same hymn sheet and have the same mission. Um, so yeah, that's really nice. Really heartwarming. I want to talk spoilers for just a minute. So, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Mark did say at the start of the show, this is for, um, you know, if you've read one Discworld or zero or, uh, all 41, um, and it, there's a few sort of the odd stray spoiler. Mark likes his tangents. There's certainly quotes. Um, what I found, because I have been, you know, I've been dead set against any kind of spoilers and PJ's yeah. had to like recant it at the church a dozen times. Uh, I'm counting. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I feel now I don't really care as much about spoilers. I think Mark's show was breaking down what or accelerating that breaking down process that was already happening with me. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Why is that, do you think? I I I think so there's a uh crossroads with a sort of a growing interest um in, in Terry Pratchett the man. Mm. And once you you know, you, you you come like I have as a sort of a newbie trying to sort of isolate, and then you meet other Discworld fans who are you know are remarkably enthusiastic, uh, energy about it. Then, um, you know they will talk about um about characters I've never met, and and it's just like um, 
yeah, I, I am just letting it all wash over me. If somebody tells me, you know, the plot of a whole book in like laborious yeah. detail, I'm like, uh, you yeah, know, that's not ideal, to the but, hand. Yeah. But no, it's a fair nobody's point. Nobody's done that. Nobody's even come close <laughs> to that. Not yet, anyway. Um, <laughs> but that's that is a fair point. And I think actually Mark alluded to it in the show once or twice how like how interconnected the Discworld books are. You know, overlaps of characters and settings and the, the sort of the various ongoing series within Discworld that kind of dovetail with each other. So yeah, for fans, like it can be hard to discuss one book, you know, to only discuss the books up to a certain one because there's so much influence for the books that come later and characters that appear in each other's stories and stuff like that. Um, but I did mention, and like, as I've been trying to keep it as spoiler free as possible at your insistence, but Mark did tell us, you hopefully probably will have already heard, um, you know, about this kind of golden phase of Discworld that he, he considers that we're about to enter into. So I think like, once you do that stretch, once you do those next like five or six books, then I think there'll be very few conversations that you'll have to avoid because you'll be very much caught up with like the golden era. If there is one, you know, um, certainly a lot of the main touchstones will be covered um, in terms of like the, those big story arcs with the witches, with Vimes wrapping up to an extent with Rinse Winds. So yeah, I'm well, hopefully you're excited, you know, hopefully by like engaging in that and by like learning a few spoilers, it's increased your kind of, excitement for the series rather than diminished it yeah there's this little seed there of um like I've, I've had a few characters names put at me and i just kind of don't know who they are without getting sort of overexcited you know i'm i'm still very much um excited to read what's ahead of me i want more guards i want more witches yeah. Uh, I want more rinse wind, and I know that you know I'll, I'll be meeting new characters along the way, like Small Gods, which we'll be talking about next time. Has um, it's a, it's a relatively small cast, but it does have a lot of world building in it. Um, yeah, and I, sure. I, I've got a feeling that some of that at least will be returned to. Yeah, we can definitely talk about that in more detail next time. But you're right. I mean, the world is now so fully realized. And it's something I feel like I was banging on a lot about at the start, but maybe I haven't been so much recently because I was almost maybe surprised between the books that I hadn't read plus the ones that I'd almost forgotten, just like how much work there was to do to establish the world in the, in the start of the series. Whereas, yeah, like by small gods, we were like, we have a whole series of theology as well of established, you know, with which to build on and which Terry expertly draws stories from as well. So like, yeah, there's so much there, isn't there? Like, and you're, yeah, what, what's going to come next? I, it's so, I'm, I'm having to do it again. I'm having to stop myself from, from spoiling stuff. But yeah, um, Lords, Lords and Ladies and Men at Arms, the two that come after Small Gods, I think, um, especially after hearing Mark allude to certain things, I think you're going to really, really vibe with those two. Excellent. The other thing that we were sort of talking about, I guess, just before we came on, in terms of like Mark's approach versus ours, like we've, we've set ourselves quite a specific task here in terms of reading the entire book, entire Discworld book series and various tangents in the TV shows and movies and comics and stuff like that. Whereas Mark has really presented his show and his book as like the life and works of Terry Pratchett in the round. 
like loads of stuff that's not connected to Discworld. And I wonder, obviously you've set yourself quite a Herculean task here already, but does it make you think that like you've set yourself too narrow a task and that you want to kind of, <laughs> you want uh, to kind of expand it out into the, the larger canon of Terry Pratchett or? I mean, 41 books is quite a lot, but yes, yes, absolutely. I, I want to do all the um, comic books, all the films. You know, I've been unable to resist the urge just um, last couple of days just looking up bibliographies online yeah, yeah. and but what about um, what about the other novels like i mean what about like uh the baxter collaborations and nation and what about even the kids books and stuff are you, are yeah. you interested in going back and reading carpet people and you know starting from the very start or <laughs> maybe maybe i mean i already came in reading uh truckers diggers wings i've got a copy of uh only you can see of mankind at home. Oh yeah, so yeah, that's right. So it's not like you were completely unaware of any of that stuff coming into this, anyway. So uh, you have red, you have yeah, red carpet people. You've read truckers, read. stickers, and wings, but not carpet people. Okay, and only you can see of mankind. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, so I haven't read that yet. I've got it at home. Oh, right, I read okay, Strata just before we started this podcast. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, because we were thinking about doing an episode on Strata. It's, it is making me think that is maybe something we should do as an aside, maybe down the line when we need another little kind of Discworld break. If we do, yeah. Strata might be one to come back to. And I would like to check out his uh, short stories collection. Um, yeah, well, that's actually, you should yeah. mention that. That little pamphlet that um, Mark was selling on the day, which I might have a copy yeah, I wasn't sure whether to mention it or not, but yeah, Mark well, has I think collected... it's, it's, a, it's another great reason to go see the show. Um, right. Mark is selling his own, his own book, uh, obviously his biography, which you can get from him signed. He's also collected this little pamphlet called, I don't think you can see that, not very well, um, called Terry Pratchett Tales from Round World, and it's annotated and compiled by Mark. And it's a collection of early stories that were first printed in newspapers. So some of them are columns, sort of factual pieces, and some of them are uh, short stories for children that apparently the newspaper he worked for used to publish. So it's very short. It's only 21, 21 pages long. He's selling it for the princely sum of five English pounds at the show. But that, that, that is some real rarity stuff. Like that's like a proper collector's item, I think, that will be very hard to come by. I, I, sound, I read it today. Um... I've read some of it on the bus last yeah. night, and um, the second piece in there is like a whoa moment. Yeah. I think um, I'll probably maybe try and get stuck into it tonight, yeah. actually. It's a really good collection. And I, 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 yeah, I don't want to spoil it for, um, uh, but yeah, bring an extra five of the show, bring it, get a copy of Mark. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's really, yeah. really worth something, it. Something quite unique. Um, but Scott, yeah, you definitely won't be able to see this if I hold it up to the camera, but Scott. A That's picture right. of a younger Terry in his his jumper, looking like a bit of a serial killer. I think. Like I don't know if I would necessarily want to cross this guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like doing you know, it's it's like the uh, the thumbnail for like a Netflix documentary about um yeah true crime or something. Uh, but that's cool. That yeah, that's a really unique item that I think certainly at the moment is only available from Mark at his shows. So that's um, I was gonna say it's well worth the price of admission. The show itself is already exceeds that so yeah hopefully we've we've sung enough of his praises now i mean they're all very well deserved but uh and he was very generous with his time 
as well. So, uh, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, and it's not something I would use, even though, like, obviously Terry's one of my favorite authors. Like, I'm not a big kind of one for, like, noodling around in that kind of thing, like, going and spending my Sundays listening to people talk about books. I feel like I spent enough time, you know, being forced to do that as a humanities student that like <laughs> you know giving somebody else money <laughs> to take up my free time to listen to them talk about books is like still feels a little bit wrong but um i'm glad i'm glad that you kind of arranged it and that you uh you got the band together in in real life for yeah the first it, time. it was the weirdest thing because as regulars know i usually spend a bit of time uh gathering images to go with um covering my edits and I'd noticed an awful lot of Pratchett's books had been adapted for stage. And I just thought, I wonder is there any in Belfast planned or have there been any? Of course, no. But just by utter synchronicity, this was like a, about a month before Mark's show or six weeks. And this turned up right on, on the doorstep. So it was a stroke of luck. Yeah, no, good, good stuff. Yeah, it's it has it's it's become a sort of impromptu New Year's resolution for me now to try and um, yeah, do a bit more of that kind of things to maybe engage a bit more actively and a bit more critically with um, with the arts, darling. You know? Do you know what my big takeaway from Mark's show was, um, and I think something you all know, you know, you might not know much about Terry, you might know a lot, but Terry was a big man. He achieved, uh, you know, set aside the Discworld, set aside 41 Discworld books. He achieved a lot in his life. Uh, mm. He was internationally respected. He was generous. He was funny. I mean, it's, it's always great when you meet a well-regarded author who's a well-regarded person. Mm. Yeah. And it was just so so much love for him justly so um, yeah and he especially, is a big character like yeah, yeah but like you say like like totally like almost universally well regarded and like in this day and age that's quite rare and i think you know there is a lot more attention put on like you know artists and writers and people in the public eye there's a lot more attention put on their opinions and beliefs and they're sometimes kind of like Feel like they have to have an opinion and a belief on everything but like terry from the day although he was an early adopter of the internet but even from the days before the internet i mean he had a very clear set of principles and they're principles that i for the most part almost unanimously agree with and he never really seemed to waver from them and you know right up until the end like you were sort of alluding to you know going to parliament over the issue of assisted dying and stuff like that it just like it just shows you, yeah, the, the man he was, I guess. And it's like, re yeah, it's reassuring to know that, like, I've had my life shaped by somebody. <laughs> I've had my creative life especially shaped by somebody who at least seemed to be a good egg, you know, not about to pull the rug under me for some, like, QAnon bullshit or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And that, I think that's where, where um, Mark's show came in, is, is like, to the, the shine, a, shine a light on... You know, those principles are in his books, they're mm -hmm. in the, the Discworld novels, but you know, for those who know him and followed him, you could see that in his character. And the show brought out that, like I imagine um, 
most you know documentaries or interviews with them would would do yeah it's nice to have that i mean the inclination i guess you know we've got somebody like terry pratchett he did go to a lot you know he attended his own convention every other year and he did a lot of others a lot of interviews and stuff it's like you you can let him speak for himself but to see him through the eyes of somebody who has been so profoundly affected by his work like mark i think that's a valuable perspective as well and it's one that i like I related to massively and I said to you before we came on that like I think for the entirety of this podcast I've been trying to articulate like what why this world means so much to me and like why Terry's work means so much to me and like I mean Mark just did it brilliantly did it way better than I ever could just in terms of like articulating uh what Terry believed about the power of stories and like and the good uh that's the good effects that stories can have in the world and the, the powerful um forces of change that stories can be in the world and in people's lives and that's been the big takeaway for me the number one thing i think that's probably affected how i live and how i work is that and i think you can get that from reading his books obviously and you can get that from watching interviews with him and stuff but if you get somebody who's done a lot of research and has a lot of passion like mark and to hear them just like articulate it in such a, a beautiful way i thought that was that was worth the 10 pounds on Sunday afternoon, <laughs> easily, yeah. like all day long, you know? So, uh, yeah, that was great. I mean, he's, yeah, as I say, he's, he's way better at it than I am. He's, he's put a lot more work into it than I have. And he absolutely nailed it a hundred percent. Absolutely. It was a magical experience. I want to pick up, uh, his book. And actually just while I remember now, um, thanks to Mark for doing that. We've already said, and thanks also to the dirty onion, and the black box for letting us host our interviews here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it was a great uh, little afternoon just spent on one street basically in Belfast, on Hill Street in the Cathedral Quarter of Belfast. If you're ever in town, come down, check out the black box. It's a great little venue. Go across the street for a pint in the Dirty Onion. It's an interesting uh, old, it's an old warehouse, an old red brick warehouse, now a pub. Um, yeah, it's just a, a nice little part of the world to come down and spend a bit of time in read some books have some nice chats drink some nice beer some good company and some good conversation and yeah highly recommended i mean we can't promise that me and andy will be there every time you know unnecessary <laughs> <laughs> mark certainly won't be um but no it was great yeah um and everybody looked after us really well and yeah we'd do it again you know, if anybody was wanting to put on a stage adaptation of one of pratchett's books black box would be an excellent venue would be a good venue actually yeah, yeah. Um, and judging by the crowd, we should mention that um, Mark's show was sold out as well. Uh, his first show of the tour um, on a Sunday afternoon, and he sold it out. So there's obviously a, an appetite for Pratchett-related content, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which we, yeah, maybe we should capitalize on. You know, yeah, free promotion opportunities here. Absolutely. Do we want to go on and look at some of our posts that we've been neglecting? Uh, if we have some, yeah, this feels yeah. like it's good an opportunity. Uh, for for ages, it was just Roasty Buns turning up, and now we've got like sackfuls of the stuff. Awesome, gotta respect Roasty for keeping the lights going. There, keeping thank the lights you, on. thank you, good man. Um, so we've been running the occasional poll on Spotify, and. Six. Say we, uh, Andy. Oh. Andy has. I. I don't know how to use Spotify, <laughs> so so this is news to me as well. I can't wait to hear hear the responses. <laughs> so some months ago, uh, back when we did guards, guards actually, um, 
we asked what people would like to see more of in our podcast. And two people said personal anecdotes. Oh, dear. With that checked. Oh, yeah, I guess, yeah. Yeah. This whole episode has been about a personal anecdote, <laughs> so enjoy. And one person said deep discord knowledge, so mm. that's PJ's department. Okay, he's been doing pretty. We'll give him an A for that. I mean, compared to Mark, I've been slacking. I feel like yeah, definitely after meeting Mark, I, I feel like I need to up my game. Okay, I take that on board. That's a good note. I'm on it. Uh, we got three votes for the favorite sister of the weird sisters. Okay, one vote each. Oh, I mean, that feels right. That's fair. Yeah. It kind of makes me a little bit happy, actually. It just shows you what well-constructed, you know, um, cast of characters it is. Not a great sample size, to be fair. <laughs> what else? Uh, I asked a general, have you read Discworld? Because I couldn't be bothered making up a real question that month. Uh, Jamesy Bluetooth says, yes, I thoroughly enjoy the sections with Rincewind Encountering Death. So uh, that was nine months ago, so that must have been one of our first. Yeah, ones. okay. So, well, yeah, early last year then, yeah. Yeah, those were, yeah. There is something about that. I know I'm down on Rincewind sometimes, but like Rincewind and Death are a good natural comedy too, you know. Um, Any more? Uh, one more, and there's a segue. On Spotify, we asked, how did you feel about Pyramids? And the broken one said, just nicely finished this one myself. I love Pratchett's satire on gods and traditions. It's interesting that they said that because I remember on my reread of Pyramids, I stuff that I thought was in Pyramids and I was like, oh, where's where's that bit? It's actually in Small Gods. So I kind of got them a bit confused in my memory. So, yeah. Oddly enough, our most shared episode was Pyramids. Yeah, okay. I don't know if we did anything extra special that we don't usually do there. It is one that I know it's one that people have opinions about, you know, like it's not, it, it, it would not always be high up the list or whatever, maybe because it's standalone. I don't know. But yeah, maybe it's when people are more interested on hearing our opinions to see if it matches their own. Whereas everybody loves guards, guards. What are you going to say? You know, <laughs> well, with, with top ratings on guards, guards, moving pictures and Mort, And also, of course, episode one, we've over a thousand listens die for the Colour of Magic episode. And it only gets better from there. Stay with us. Some more stats before we come back to the mailbag. Our total plays, shortly after you've listened to this episode, we will have 6,000 plays. Um, On YouTube, we reached 1,000 plays. Um, 51.9% of our audience is female, uh, to 45.7% male. And you're hot, most likely listening to us in the UK, the US, Sweden, Canada, Germany, or Australia. Wow. Uh, I feel for the Germans and the Swedes who have to cope with our accents. So well done, guys. Yeah, <laughs> Good job thanks, sticking it out. Thanks for staying with us. Uh, casting. So last episode, we did our, our casting um, chat, and it's kind of exploded a bit on Facebook. Yeah, even we even got Mark to get involved. We got some opinions from Mark. Yeah. So yeah, it's definitely the zeitgeist right now. Yeah, big, big, big chat on Facebook about that. And actually, Shell Boulder on Twitter, good in. And I think Mark uh, cited hers, which was Don French as Nanny Og and Jennifer Saunders as Granny Weatherwax. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't believe I'd never yeah. thought of that before, actually. It seems, it's yeah. one of those, you know, it's a great uh, choice because it seems so obvious in retrospect. 
I'm uh, I, I think somebody else mentioned that on Facebook and I added uh, well I'd already said Julius Wahala as my grad so yeah yeah I'll have um, a reunion absolutely yeah um yeah absolutely uh and the only the, the longer they the older they get the more they grow into those roles I think as well their their relationship has had its ups and downs done in French since um since their sketch show days, hasn't it? So you want to, you need a bit of tension in the granny nanny relationship, don't you? <laughs> yeah, that was I thought that was a great shout. Really, really good shout. So Jonathan had Stephen Ray as Sam Vimes. Yeah, I, like I mean I mean he's a bit old now, isn't he? But yeah, then Mark well. but then Mark Mark said Sean Bean, which I actually thought was great. Uh really inspired call. I know he got it from um from John Colsob doing his readings, but like, yeah, that, I mean, you can, there's a, a grittiness to both those guys, like a proper, like they've seen a thing or two, you know, they've been out in the rain with the cardboard boots on those two guys for sure. So yeah. And like, and like, as listeners know, my, my head cannon for Vimes is totally Belfast accent. Like, so yeah, Stephen Ray for sure. Lee Brunkham would, uh, I don't know if he'd seen our casting episode, but he arrived at the same place you did regarding Vimes, which is Jared Harris. Yeah, yeah. Again, and it's yeah, it's totally unfair for me to say Stephen Ray's table if I'm like if I'm saying Jared Harris and I'm saying Sean Bean. Um and yeah, Jared Harris could play it because he's so gifted with with accents, he could play it with any regional accent that he chose for sure. So yeah, yeah. Again, it just comes down to that roughness around the edges. But like for me, maybe compared to Stephen, Jared has a bit of a twinkle in the eye as well. Though you know that like he can bring. A, I don't know if people have watched Foundation. It's quite hard sci-fi, so I'm sure there's a lot of overlap in our audience. But like, he can still be a little bit funny, and he, I mean, he still has to be funny. Vime still has to be. It's still a Discworld. Still has to be funny. So. That's where I would maybe be slightly more hesitant about Stephen Ray, even though I love him as an actor. Uh, I think Jared Harris could maybe, yeah, bring a little bit of the dry humour, maybe a little bit more to the front. Yeah, I, I, I find it. I, I haven't seen a lot Ray's in. Gatehouse in the oh, Shadowline, a seven-part BBC drama. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, Ray casts a, a very elderly sharp figure in that so i don't know tony ingram had possibly one of the best suggestions on thread he said uh i've been watching the old comedy drama of weederson pet over the last few days and i think i cast tim healy as sam vimes christopher fairbank as nobby timothy spall as fred colon and jimmy neal as detritus yeah you can see it i mean it's a, it's a bit before my time off Weeders Impact, so I'm aware of it. And like, obviously, some of those guys have gone on to massive, massive things. Um, but when you look at them in that, I'm, I'm just calling it up on IMDb now. And the image you have in your head of them, especially Timothy Spall, <laughs> he just looks so unbelievably gormless. You can really see it. I, I, if you're not familiar with the show, it is a slightly niche choice. Um, just go look at the thumbnail on IMDb and they're just such a motley crew, aren't they? They just fit the vibe of the, especially the early watch, I guess, you know, the kind of guards, guards era night watch so well. Oh, we just get, I'm going to go and uh, watch an episode as soon as I get done with uh, Post Office versus Mr. Bates. Um, yeah. 
God, look at a Tim Haley now. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Good times. Uh, what what else was there? What other ones? Uh, Kevin Andrew about? Murphy with one of the frequently occurring Helen Mirren as Granny Weatherwax. Yeah, I think that's one I've heard bandied about before. Um, Valerie Moss also had that. I think uh, uh, having seen her recently playing a, a bit against type in Only Murders in the Building, I was like. I don't know, it was much, I don't know, it was, it's weirdly the opposite, you know, she's, she's playing a bit more of a kind of a softer character, but it shows, it just shows that range that, that she has, you know, people think of her as that natural kind of slightly edgier, older female character, but she's got such unbelievable range that like, you know, she would give this really nuanced, well-rounded performance in it as Granny, because I think there is a danger of it becoming a kind of a one note, like, this is the kind of grumpy witch, she's the severe one kind of thing that yeah. isn't there, you know, like there's a lot more going on and that's mostly in the narration in the book. So you need somebody who can kind of bring that out in a performance, you know, all the kind of the full 3D nature of that character. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good choice as well. And like, she's got the right age, but she's also got like, she's still quite high energy performer as well. So there's a balance to be kind of struck there too. Um, because yeah, as Mark was saying that you can't you can't really have like Maggie Smith or whoever anymore. Because <laughs> like even though they might look the part, they probably aren't up to the the shenanigans anymore. <laughs> yeah. But I think Helen Mirren might be. Colin Fitzpatrick had a few answers. Um, first one took me a moment to sit and think about it, but I'm I'm really for it. Star casting Benedict Cumberbatch as a patrician. Yeah, I mean he's grown into that role for sure. Um, and there's, you know, the, the patrician is always kind of written as a sort of relatively ageless character anyway. But yeah, in terms of the British actors, and obviously the patrician is going to be British, um, in terms of the British actors who are kind of now, who are aging into that level of gravitas that's required, I think Benedict Cumberbatch is kind of hitting that sweet spot now, isn't he? He needs to slow down, does Cumberbatch, and I think that would be a perfect role for him. I have to get behind Giancarlo Esposito. Oh yeah, I mean, I guess that that would be the the non-British exception that I could um, that I could allow. I can't remember if I did. I suggest that during the casting thing, or did you? Yeah, I think that was your suggestion. Yeah. Yeah. I must have had a few glasses of wine by that point. Um, I was loving it, but yeah, that uh, that would be maybe my. I think it was. I was. I, I always do quite leaning into this thing where like you have your safe options and then you want to have at least one, you know, when you're, well, you know yourself, you know, when you're casting for real life, if you're doing like a TV show or a radio play or whatever, like you always want to invite somebody to the audition. Who's maybe a little bit outside the box just yeah. to see, just to, you know, just to see if there's something there that you haven't thought of. And, um, yeah. So the, as Benedict Cumberbatch is one way to go. Juan Carlos Pacito's, very much another way to go, but I mean, and it, I mean, he is the patrician of Baking Brad, so like, and even of Star Wars <laughs> of the Mandalorian, so, um, so maybe that's actually not as unexpected a choice as I like to think. I think well, I'm a bit clever for picking that, but I'm not really. Uh, any other good ones? Uh, Valerie Moss had the also had the Helen Mirren Granny Weatherwax one, yeah, and has went for the obvious choice of Miriam Marco as as Nanny Og, yeah. but just because it's obvious doesn't mean it isn't great. No, it's obvious it for probably a reason. Probably is, yeah. Yeah, exactly. If it ain't broke. 
Uh, Colin also has Mackenzie Crook as Rincewind. Interesting. Yeah, I, yeah. Again, it's another good choice. I think. Oh, pardon me. In terms of bringing that energy that like David Jason was trying to bring, in the color of magic, like Mackenzie Crook could match that energy like flawlessly, but just with that extra what thirty years, twenty. Yeah, I'm sure he's at least thirty years younger than David Jason. <laughs> um, <laughs> just just that extra bit of vim, I think you know, f especially for like the physical kind of slapstick stuff. I think that could really help, and he's just got more of that gangly look he's like more of the way that kirby draws uh, rincewind doesn't he like you know he's on elbows so yeah sorry mckenzie but you know <laughs> colin also had a suggestion for two floor uh masioka i don't know that, masioka that? Like a... was he in heroes so i i've not seen him in anything but scrolling oh, through no. photos Hold it on. provokes oh. lots of laughter when thinking of two floor yeah so i just watched oh my gosh yes i just watched Blue Eye Samurai, which he's in uh, as a voice actor, and he plays a kind of um, fair to say he plays a comic relief character, not dissimilar to Rint to Tuflar. Um, so I would love to see him back in live action. Yeah, good point. Yeah, heroes. That's going back. Um, and you always picture him with the glasses and stuff, don't you? The way that you picture Tuflar. So that is an excellent choice. Yeah. yeah. Well. Yeah. Good call. Good call. Uh, Glennis Williams had one that comes a bit left field. I'm not sure if I'm the right person to comment on it. That is Olivia Coleman as Lady Vimes. Yeah, you can see that. Yeah. Big time. Big time. Especially like with her kind of like since the favourite and stuff where she has kind of played these slightly more upper class kind of roles but with all the same humour and all the same warmth that she brought to like her peep show role and her yeah. more contemporary roles. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we've all kind of reached the point now where we realise that Olivia Coleman can pretty much do anything. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Why not? Uh, let's see. What's next? Um, Anna Pylock, uh with Mark Heap as pretty much anyone, really. Pretty much anyone? I mean, we got. We need a ballpark. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I. Uh, so this is Brian and Spaced. Uh, yeah, what I know yeah. him as. So I, I totally see an unseen university role for him. Yeah, there's a, a wizard lurking there. Yeah, I mean, he's in. Um, he is. He's in Stardust, isn't he? He's one of the murdered princes, isn't he? In Stardust. So he's. I feel like he's in. He's orbiting the world you know he's in a gaming adaptation he's playing a fantasy role i mean that's going back i guess 15 years or so now but um yeah the the bursar maybe or one of those high one of the highly strung wizards and i think yeah the bursar you can picture yeah. him kind of trailing along behind ridgley <laughs> kind of all stressed out kind of, yeah that's a good shot and perhaps perhaps maybe 10 or 15 years ago maybe Rincewind potentially. I think he's a bit too dry for Rincewind. I don't know if he's in, if he's like like the tension kind of simmers below the surface with Markeep, doesn't it? He, he doesn't explode enough. You know, he doesn't have enough outbursts for uh, for Rincewind. Sonia Thury has brought Tilda Swinton into the chat as Granny Weatherwax for giving us both that hard edge and uh, the gravitas needed for specific yeah. moments. Uh, yes, for sure, and. Again, somebody who can still bring the humour when required. 
that's a good call. No, I actually, I mean, I, I, was, I was trying to think like visually, you know, Tilda Swinton's got quite a, a striking look. Like visually, yeah. how would you approach that? Because you know, it, it would almost feel a shame to give her the kind of the just tr the traditional witch, granny weatherwax, black, you know, black robe, black hat, big boots kind of thing. But but I still think she she could work with that, you know. But if you yeah. think about like like how she appears in in Constantine and in Doctor Strange and stuff, you know, they do a lot with her with her looks, so. Yeah, I don't know. One for a costume designer, maybe to give some thought to. Well, Paul Thompson has a better use for Tilda, oh. the patrician. Yeah, well, that. yeah, yeah. Again, a bit like the Richard Dormer casting. You know, there's absolutely no reason not to gender swap the patrician, but the fact that they already kind of did it and it didn't really go that well <laughs> in the watch is <laughs> like, you know, they they took a swing and missed at that. But had they took a swing with Tilda Swinton. They might have had a bit more success. Yeah, I can see that for sure as well. Her name escapes me now. Who, who actually did play the patrician in the watch? Because I'm not, I'm not throwing her under the bus by any means. Um, because there was nothing wrong with the performance. It was just, it was just everything else, <laughs> I guess. So I feel like I should just um give them a shout out if I can figure, if I can just figure out who it was. Oh yeah, it was Anna Chancellor, and she was good. And I'm sure there would be a role for her in like a more authentic. Disc world adaptation. I'm not quite sure as who, but I'd say she put. Oh, Go ahead. Yeah. No, I'm gonna stop. I'm gonna stop talking about. <laughs> why am I talking about people who've already been cast in Discworld? <laughs> well, it's it's two more uh, two more patrician suggestions. One from Sonia. Yeah. Uh, Mark Strong. Yeah. Love Mark Strong. Love Remind Mark Strong. Me who Mark Strong is. So bald, bald, bald guy who's like a bad guy and everything. Um. Doesn't narrow it down. Bald, bald English guy. He's a bad guy in every, um, every Hollywood. Uh, Try what's he been in recently? He was in nineteen seventeen. Oh, he's Doctor Savannah in Shazam. No, no, it's not. not, not recall. Even, I know I've googled him already, but uh, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. There was he's another spot. comic book. Um, I've seen him. He's in one of those. Yeah. <laughs> he's in one of those. Mark. Was he in Kingsman? One of those Mark, I know he's in one of those other like Mark Millery comic book things. Yeah, he's in Kingsman, the Imitation Game. Like, yeah, one of those things, like journeyman actor, but with a lot, but with a lot of charisma and like plays a lot of villains because he can do like a really good scale where like you know less is more. Can fix fix somebody, fix a, a minion with a look, and they'll crumble. You know, like you can imagine the patrician doing. So yeah, that's an interesting shot. It would definitely. Mark Strong without hair is much more intimidating than Mark Strong with hair. So it would mean the patrician would definitely have to be bald is the only thing. So I don't know how people feel about that. So Glennis uh, has for the patrician, and Glennis really knows arts and culture castings, uh, David Tennant. But I didn't have the heart to tell Glennis, no, go away. I've just got David Tennant burnout at the moment. Russell, <laughs> Russell T. Davies has destroyed the, the fires that I was working up for for opening my heart to the love of David Tennant. He's just pissed all over the place. And there's a lovely analogy, RTD pissing all over the place. Over to you, PJ. Yeah, I don't hate the idea. I think it would be a tough sell considering good omens, obviously, from an industry point of view. But like in a vacuum in terms of like, is he capable of delivering the performance? Absolutely, yes. Does he have the right look? I would argue yes. Um, 
could the patrician be Scottish? You know, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like David Tennant's like when he when he's being villainous, he tends to get a bit more Scottish, which I always like. So I can definitely see that. I do feel it's potentially. I hesitate to say a waste because you know the the patrician's a great character, but he's not. He's not at the foreground of very many of the stories. Um, there are characters that we'll meet later, potentially much later, that I think David Tennant um, would have been good for. But, yeah, we're still trying to vaguely stick to no spoilers. So <laughs> I think if Tennant played it a straight role, I would be open to that. Huh? I think if Tennant played the Patrician as a straight role, I would be open to that. Yeah, I mean, straight. but, like, is that not a waste? He's a, better, be... he's a better actor when he's playing straight roles. When he's and and when he's purposely comical and uh, yeah, I mean, I guess like the patrician is is one of the few characters who is is occasionally tries to be funny though. You know, he has a very obvious, said dry, really, really dry sense of humor that he uses as a weapon. So to like, you need somebody who can at least deliver that. Like, you don't want yeah, you don't want bug eyed. 10th Doctor or whatever number Doctor he was, I don't know. Uh, but you don't want Doctor Who David Tennant necessarily, but you do, you need some sort of dry wit, something um, bubbling under the surface there. I don't know if he's had a performance that I, that I would like paste over the top of that role necessarily, but I would be very curious to see what he could do with it for sure. Time heals all Doctor Who wounds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any, so... any, sure, any other Doctors you would throw in there? Just, could, Chris Eccleston, could he do it? Oh, in a heartbeat, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Peter, it's all that Peter Capaldi hasn't entered that conversation. Surely he's the patrician. Oh, yeah, we, I think I'm pretty sure I had him as a oh, yeah. choice. No, yeah. Yeah. What about uh, McCoy? Is he too old? I mean, nobody, as I say, he's, he's written pretty ageless, so I think nobody's too old as long as they've... They've got that as long as they can be a little bit menacing. I think Sylvester, I don't know if Sylvester McCoy can be menacing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I um, mean I'm I'm not familiar enough with the with the canon, unfortunately. So I've got a few more suggestions that are just for you because I've not gotten to those parts yet. Okay. So from Lee Brimacum Wood, I'd love a young Hugh Grant in CAD mode as Moist von Lipwig. But as we yeah. can't have him, I take Alex Lawler. With Denise Goth as Adora Bell Dearheart. Yeah. Sorry, give me the first name. Uh, uh, Hugh Grant as Moist. No, Hugh Grant. I got, yeah, who was after that? Alex he Lowther. He's too old. He's Lowther, spell that. Uh, L E W T H E R. Which is the oh same surname as oh. our wonderful sponsor, Ian Lowther. Thank you, Ian. Oh, yeah. Hope you're doing um, well. That this sorry that 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 that's a real brain fart on my part. Yeah, I loved um loved him in the end of the Effing World. Loved him in Andor. Oh, he's gone the other too far the other way. I think he's he's potentially too young. We were talking about somebody there who I thought would be good for Moist, and I decided not to say it because I was like I don't want to spoil stuff for Andy, but he's just decided to do it himself anyway. He has the right energy for sure. Yeah, I don't know like what age is he? I wonder does IMDb have that information for us? He, He's born in 1995, so he's okay. He's nearly 30. Okay, no, that's fine. It's just made me feel 100 years old. But no, actually, that's fine. <laughs> yes, I approve. I'm sure Alex Lother is absolutely delighted to hear that I approve this hypothetical casting. <laughs> uh, he's great. Have you seen Andor? No. 
Yeah. Oh man, he's excellent in it. Uh, yeah, okay, cool. Any any other ones? Oh, yeah, we have got a few more. Uh, Rupert Van Sittard as been as the patrician. Um, oh yeah. Oh hmm, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot to be said for just having those like journeyman older English actors to just like give them something that they can really sink their teeth into. So like this dude is like. Is he's like one of the lords in Game of Thrones and he's like hanging around in Braveheart looking grumpy and like he's made a career out of that sort of like yeah gave somebody like that a chance to actually have a, a bit of a fun with the role you know to, to do the more arch knowing version of it I think actually could be really fun yeah Leah again with a couple of uh, witches suggestions Michelle Gomez as a perfect yeah. granny weatherwax Sarah Lancashire as an Og. Yeah, that was my call. Yeah, and Michelle Gomez, did that come up before? Did we talk about her? I think I think so. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. We're all like, I love the Discworld hive mind on this, you know, because the characters are so well realized. Like they really do conjure up really specific images in people's minds. Sonia again with Mary Margot is not a yog. So yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I saw Sarah Lancashire has been playing um, Julia Childs, uh, the chef, but he was also like an OSS agent <laughs> during World War II. Uh, so she's got quite a kind of no-nonsense look about her, you know, so I've seen, I haven't watched any of the episodes of it, but like um, some of the stills I've seen from that show, again, sort of reinforce my belief that um, she would be a good shout for Granny. Last episode I intimated, suggested, might have told you that I didn't know who Sarah Lancashire was. That's yeah. just, I, that doesn't represent me. It doesn't represent <laughs> me. Of course, I'm, I know who Sarah Lancashire is. I was going to say, have you, have you done anything to remedy that? Have you binged all of Happy Valley in the meantime? <laughs> I might have watched Midnight again. There you oh, go, yeah. RTD. You're back it's on good. the show. You might yeah. guest someday. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, after, the, after that piss, <laughs> the comment about the piss, I'm not sure. <laughs> Glennis has a few other interesting suggestions. Oh, yeah. Uh, Davy Diggs as oh, yeah. Carrot. Yeah, I don't see that. Um, I just want to make sure. I just want to do that thing to make sure I know. Talk about the right person. He has been in. David Dix has been in so much stuff that I, I am not aware of him. But when I looked at his Wikipedia page, yeah. Oh yes, of course, from Hamilton. Yeah, as Carrot, yes, yeah. Because like, I don't think I've ever seen as good a gormless smile as David Dix has. You know, like he's like such a big grin and like such an open face but he's like got a certain kind of stature as well you know so um yeah absolutely what has he been in recently it was in the <laughs> sebastian in the new little mermaid i feel like he, he can do better than that can't he uh but yeah i've got a lot of time for him that's a good shot really good shot oh yeah he's in snowpiercer yeah he gets quite physical in the yeah. snowpiercer tv series yeah cool uh, Glennis has some other guards, uh, some other watch suggestions. Toby Jones is Nobby. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, took again, me a moment a, with that. But yeah, as, a, I think as so. a character with no definable age, uh, yeah, actually, you know, I can see it. And he, he, he is described as having like an unguardsmanly like physique, I guess, to put it diplomatically. So, yeah. I think that, yeah, that's a good shout, actually. And 
he has that mean streak though, which I think would be a bit of a, might be a, a, an interesting kind of play against um type for Toby Jones, you know. Like you see him with like a proper like dirty fag end hanging out of the side of his mouth and everything <laughs> could be like that could be kind of fun. I see Sergeant Colon, Simon Pegg, John Favreau. I mean, if it's Colon, if we're doing if we're in that world for Colon, surely it's Nick Frost. I mean, if if you're going to that world for the guards, like Nick Frost is Colon and Peg is Nobby, surely, no? I mean, maybe not now that they're all rich, beautiful millionaires, but like back in the day, <laughs> back, back in the space days, like for sure. Or maybe Smiley should have been Nobs. He'll kill me for that. Dennis also is Jack Lowden down for Carrot. Yeah, okay. Again, I'm just going to refresh my memory. I definitely know the name. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess you go like, you know, who's big and ginger <laughs> like, at the minute? Like, who, who's like a, an up and coming British actor who's also ginger? Then, like, yeah, you got to go there. But, I mean, in saying that, that's underselling him massively. I mean, he's in some really, really good roles recently. Um, Slow Horses is going to clean up, I think, some awards this season. Uh, that Small Axe anthology series was quite good in that, from what I remember. He certainly got the right look, and I think as well, like, kind of got the right age as well. Like, you sh there should probably be, like, a youthful energy to Carrot. So, like, easiest way to get there is is to cast somebody a bit on the younger side. Like, he'd definitely be significantly younger than David Diggs, I'm sure. So, yeah, I think that's a pretty good call. Glenn Carter had um, the same choice as myself, actually, for Lord Veterinary, Charles Dance. Yeah, I mean... Uh, in terms of those big kind of like fantasy presences, you know, if you want to have that, like, and he, he can like, you know, he can be dry and he can be witty and he, he knows when to raise an eyebrow at the right time and stuff. And I think um, if you were to go that kind of older English character actor route, you'd start with Charles Dance probably and work your way down then, wouldn't you? You know, yeah. And Ian McKellen is death, which I thought, yeah, that would definitely work. Yeah, it would actually, wouldn't it? I mean, death, death is all about the voice at the end of the day, yeah. isn't it? So, um, yeah. Like hell has not spades. Yeah, and I wonder, like, what kind of, you know, like, how much post-processing, like, how much echo would you want on death's voice? Do, do you want it to sound like it's coming from the other world when you've got Ian McKellen, or would you rather he just sounds like he is, just like an old, an older gentleman who's just going about his job, you know, it's like, how, how do you dramatize the capital letters, you know, that make his voice distinct from every other character's voice? And if you, maybe if you have somebody as good as Ian McKellen, maybe you actually don't need to, to do that. You just let, right. let it all come from the performance. I don't know. We've got yeah. two more suggestions, um, and these are in your wheelhouse entirely. Cool. So Emily Blunt as Angua. Yes, 100% could see that. I don't think she gets to do enough, or maybe I just I don't watch enough of her movies, but I don't think she gets to like, like be English enough <laughs> for whatever reason. Like you know when you see her like being interviewed and stuff, and she comes across as like really warm and really funny and that, and you're like then she has to be these kind of like slightly more stoic like American characters, uh, and maybe I'm just watching the wrong movies. I know she's not like that in The Devil Wears Prada, for example, but um, I loved her in um, in Tomorrow or whatever whatever that Tom Hanks Tom Hanks. Uh, Tom Cruise time travel thing, Age of Tomorrow is. I thought she was great in that. So like, she obviously has the action movie chops, 
but there's moments of humor in that as well where she like have you seen it yeah no edge of tomorrow no um where she gets to like properly beat up on tom cruise and it's just a joy to watch oh yeah of course that would be yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like you can see like that that kind of physicality but maybe with a bit more of her warmth and a bit more of her vulnerability um to yeah i'm trying not to spoil angwin's arc for you too much but yeah there's there's kind of layers and depth there that i think she could bring to it that, that would be required for some of the later storylines definitely that's a really good shot Sonia has Nicola Kuglin, Coughlin. Oh yeah, from Dairy Girls. Right. Oh, who's she in Dairy Girls? Uh, Claire. Claire. As Perdita X or Agnes Nin Nit. Yeah, I can see that. Um, <laughs> I feel that like, well, I mean, we all think of um, of the Dairy Girls actors as as being young, but they're they're not necessarily, you know. So she's probably getting to an age now. Where yeah, you could think about those kind of witchier characters. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so it, 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 there's no shade, no shade on Nicola at all to suggest her for that role. And I mean, again, she's so funny. Um, and like the two roles that she's known for are, are quite different: Dairy Girls and Bridgerton, which is like all kind of high costume drama. Um, and she disappears into both those roles, but brings so much humor, like her timing is impeccable and I think like yeah especially for those kind of this world roles where you need to be good with a pun let's say then yeah she would be an excellent choice well that's that's the list um it would go a bit longer than I thought it would but um really enjoyed spending time with you uh thanks for hanging in there and our mailbag is still open um next we're covering small gods love to know what you thought of it I've read it already. I have a lot to talk about. And so is Paige. Yeah, absolutely. I just decided to look up out of curiosity. Um, there's a, there's some fan art online of Agnes Knit that already looks pretty much like Nicola. And, and in, in a flattering way, by the way, Nicola, which, who I'm sure is listening. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I just wanted to satisfy myself. It's like, is that, yeah, it is a good choice. Um, Sorry, I'm, yeah, you're trying to wrap this up, but I, I could talk about this for hours. Obviously, I'll try try to restrain myself. Um, looking forward to talking about uh, Small Gods really, really soon with your good self and hopefully with everybody else who's listening along. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's do that, shall we? Fantastic. Thanks for stopping by, and we shall see you next time. Cheers, folks.